Welcome to Linworth Road Church, helping people become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Visit linworthroadchurch.com to learn more. Good morning. Uh, just a note on that OWR run, Orphan World Relief, they are a ministry that we fully support here um, at uh, Linworth. And so that's why you see that, uh, um, that run there. It's a very f- uh, family-friendly event, and so we encourage you to, to go there. But how many of you here have a love-hate relationship with Daylight Savings Time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you all hate it. Okay, all right. Well, you know, there's nothing like being awake when, it, it, you know, when that time actually changes, you know, on your, on your phone, and you, you, you know, you're doing okay, and then, and, and you, uh, and I was telling you guys, you, you kind of looking at uh, your clock, and you're doing some, some things, and and then right, right about 2 o'clock, you look back over, and all of a sudden, it's 3 o'clock. And you're like going, no. And uh, so that's always a fun thing to see. But. So are you guys ready for the love chapter? Oh, okay, all right, all right. You know, when you say it like that, you kind of expect uh, at any moment a disco ball to kind of drop to the middle of the ceiling. The lights go down, start spinning. You see the spots everywhere. Some swanky music comes on, and... And, uh, but, uh, you know, we're not going to go there this morning, all right? But uh, now in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find one of the most beautiful and familiar chapters in the Bible. Uh, this love chapter, as uh, it is affectionately known, it's heard at weddings and it's used at many marriage conferences you, um, or on messages about marriage and uh, in counseling sessions with couples or people. Uh, and if you are a new Christ follower or even if you're investigating uh, Christianity, you probably have heard this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But as we said uh, this week in our vision clips, it's an email that goes out um, each week that kind of tells you what's coming up as far as our messages. Um, You know, we, we said this. We said, is marriage really the intended purpose of this chapter? Was this the original intent, or is it something else? And while it is completely appropriate for the purposes that we just talked about here, Paul is continuing to answer and instruct the Corinthians on how to conduct themselves towards one another. Now, last week, we kind of learned some things. The church, uh, and we've been learning this all throughout this teaching in 1 Corinthians, but the church was finding itself confused in the use of spiritual gifts, which was causing disunity, it was causing disruption, and they were a little messed up here. And so, That's the context that we walk into chapter 13. It's not a specific set-aside chapter on marriage and how a husband and wife should treat one another, although they should, and we'll get to that perhaps a little bit. But after um, Paul instructs them on the proper use of and the attitude towards spiritual gifts and what their attitude should be towards one another— he then drops an extra nugget at the end of chapter 12. So in reality, at the end of chapter 12, that very last uh, verse is really kind of part of is where chapter 13 really begins. And so uh, why don't you stand, and we're going to read God's Word. We're just going to read seven verses um, here. And uh, the Pew Bible, if you have that, it's on page 959. And so let's go ahead and uh, read God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I think I'll sneak the first three words of uh, verse 8 there. Love never ends. This is the word of God. May you go ahead and take a seat. So in, this, in, in uh, chapter 12, Paul tells them that the gifts, they're good. And, uh, and then as you even walk into uh, chapter 14, he says to, to desire them. But he's asking them to figure out how to use them properly in order to build up the body. He says, as he walks through um, all this discussion about these gifts in the body of Christ and how we're supposed to work together, at the very end he says, but I will show you still a more excellent way. Well, what is that more excellent way? Well, it doesn't take that long. Actually, one verse to begin to figure out a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is love. And it's a very particular type of love, which I want to explore with you this morning as we discover the true definition of what love is. So in this love chapter, uh, just within four verses, there are 16 iterations of what love does or doesn't do. And because there are so many there, we can't cover each one and define each one. And so we're, as you'll see, we're going to kind of narrow down and pick one verse here. But, but Paul here uh, is desperately needs to refocus the Corinthians in this church and get their eyes off of themselves. And so in using this word of love to teach the Corinthians in us, he's able, hopefully, to, to show us how we are supposed to love, how we are supposed to live, how we're supposed to function and express ourselves when we are using the gifts that God has given us as the body of Christ. So the reality here is that we really need to understand it, and then we need to figure out how to apply it. So how does Paul make the transition to bring love into uh, the equation and reemphasize their wrong use of the gifts? Well, he does this very abrasively, very forcefully in certain ways, and almost uh, in certain ways, you know, for me, because of the way I read things, a little comical. Uh, saying that if you don't have love, you're basically these things. You're annoying, you have nothing, and you are nothing. So uh, take a look at me at first, uh, first uh, verse here in a uh, couple of verses in verse 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So you're, in essence, you're noisy, you're, you're basically annoying, Okay. And uh, number two here, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have uh, not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body even to be burned but have not love, I gained nothing. So, without love, we are annoying nothing, and we have nothing. Now take a look at, uh, uh, excuse me, I, what I wanted to say here at this point was, was really 
kind of a little shout out to the Corinthians. Poor Corinthians, we just have to stop and thank them uh, for being so messed up as a, as, as a, as a church. Um, God knew this would be repeated in the church through the generations. And so with the Corinthian church, uh, uh, we wouldn't have learned all these amazing things without them as they walked through it. And so hopefully uh, we have been learning from them. So what I'd like to do is, um, like I said, spend some time defining love and then zeroing in on this one verse which really speaks about how love just never, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> never, never, ever gives Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is, it is precious. Lord, we thank you for your love that is uh, truly, really, Father, it's difficult to define. We can put it in words, Lord, and, and we can kind to try to understand truly what it is, but we know it is so much more. Help us to, to understand it, though, uh, in a broader sense and in a deeper sense this morning as we look into your word and hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now if you ever heard any message on love, you realize that there are many words for love in the Greek. Um, usually in a message, there's only three or four that are pointed out. Um, in the Greek, there's, there's quite a few different words um, for love. But four main ones we usually talk about when studying God's Word. <clears throat> One refers more to a, a sexual type of love. It's eros. Another, it refers to family love, the kind of love where it's between a parent and a child, or between uh, family members in general, and that's uh, called storge. Uh, another word for love speaks of brotherly love, friendship, and affection, and it's the love of deep friendships and partnerships. Um, it might be described as the highest love of which man without God's help is capable of, and that's phileo, love. But the fourth word <clears throat> for love is the one most used in the Bible, and it's used of God, and that word is agape. Now, here's the thing about this type of love, and, and this is really quite interesting and really quite neat. It's a word that was basically coined for the New Testament. It's a word that's not found in classical Greek. Uh, in other words, we, uh, um, the, the words that we talked about here, the, the three ahead of this here, um, they were there in classical Greek. But in that time, this type of love that Paul was trying to describe, trying to, to teach the Corinthians and then ultimately teach us here was a foreign type of love during that time in that Greek language, in the classical Greek language. And so beginning here, Paul begins to define what agape is, actually is. So let's go ahead and, and define it. Now here's one definition. Someone's definition goes like this. Agape love is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to receive. Now, who does that sound like? Yeah. No, it's not me. Who does that sound like? Sounds like God, doesn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 8 says this. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is agape. God is love. And 1 John four sixteen says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. 
God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so that's where understanding the love that Paul is communicating has to begin. It has to begin with this foundation that God is defined by the word love, that God is love. Listen to this definition by John Piper, and then we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. In a word, I think it means something like God's absolute fullness of life and truth and beauty and goodness and all other perfections is such that he is not only self-sufficient, but also in his very nature overflowing. God is so absolute, so perfect, so complete, so full, so inexhaustibly resourceful, so joyful that he is by nature a giver, a worker for others, a helper, a protector. What it means to be God is to be full enough always to overflow and to never need, never murmur, never pout. God is love. And as we've seen, and when it wants to, the Bible itself, and when it wants to define God, when, it, when God wants to define himself, he says about himself what? He says, God is love. Agape love is the clearest definition that we have of God. Love is the character. Uh, It is the essence. It's the fullness. It's the completeness. God is is love. All right, so let's go ahead and let's push this a little bit further uh, on agape. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13 here, Paul, through all his lists that he has and descriptions, and this is very important for us to get to understand Um, this section of Scripture, because it helps us read through this chapter differently. Paul here basically is arguing that love is an action. It's not an emotion. Paul is talking about a love that is is seen, a love that is experienced, and it's a love that is demonstrated. And so if you think about this, this is is really different than what our culture would say love is, right? And how, uh, especially in today, that, uh, that, that the love honors personal feelings above almost everything else. Uh, We do what we want when we want because we feel like it, and if we don't feel like it, we don't do it. And and it's based so much on how we feel is the determining factor, maybe how we determine how we're going to treat one another. If we're offended in some way, we don't feel loved, then we react. And so Paul is kind of getting us to a place here which is so different than maybe the way we read this 1 Corinthians 13 here. In fact, John MacArthur describes it this way. He said that if you, uh, uh, or excuse me, uh, when you really look at this passage here, and I'll get to John in just a moment, uh, there is uh, this complete absence, okay, of any connection in a certain sense, any stress on personal feelings. John MacArthur describes it this way. He says if you want to be technical about it, The Bible never defines love in terms of abstracts, in terms of attitudes, in terms of feelings, in terms of ideology. It never defines love in this matter. It only describes love in action. And so what helps drive this home is when when we read, uh, especially verses 4 through 7, if we were just to kind of of read through this, um, and it says that, you know, love is patient and love is kind and and love is this, or love is, isn't this thing here, or whatever. What we're reading uh, in English are adjectives, descriptive words. 
all right? But here's the thing. In the Greek, there's no adjectives here. They are all verbs. And verbs describe, what do verbs describe? Action, right? Yes. And so Paul here, he wants us to, to know what looks like, love looks like when we see it. And so what he does is he paints like 15 pictures of what love is. 15 separate portraits um, in the space of four short verses. And he, what does Paul do? Paul uses 15 verbs, all which have love as their subject. And so it's a little bit different. And, and as we said, our uh, contemporary definition of love is that it's an emotion or, or, or feeling. And, um, you know, we love our jobs. We love football. We love USC. We love um, <laughs> Ohio State. Sorry. <laughs> We love pizza, and, you know, we love each other. But in the biblical definition of agape, love acts. For love is an action. It's, it's not an emotion. Now, I told you we were going to uh, spend some time defining uh, love, agape, here. And then for the sake of, of time, we're going to zero in on one verse. But even before that, I wanted to share with you uh, a personification of love in action. Now, yesterday was... was um, we had a, a service here uh, for Linda Gladhill. Um, and uh, if you weren't with us last week, she passed away last uh, um, Saturday. And so we, we had a memorial service. And, um, and so it was sweet. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. And, you know, we learned things about Linda that were just absolutely amazing. And her family was all here. And, and, and they, were, they were just blessed and, and so encouraged. They, they, they came in from Michigan and, and Indiana. And, um, you know, there's one particular person who attended. And uh, she, was, she was dressed in her work clothes. She had an apron on. She had a, a couple of uh, some food stains um, on her apron. And, and her name was Michelle. And Michelle was a server at TJ's. And every morning during the, during the weekday at about 5.45, Linda would roll into tea. That's 5.45 in the morning. <laughs> that would have been 4.45 this morning. But uh, anyway, she would roll into TJ's to have breakfast. And, and she would come in with a smile and, and, a, and, 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 and order whatever she was. And she never seemed to fail uh, to connect with the servers, especially Michelle, ask how her kids were doing or how her grandkids were doing. Or uh, she seemed to remember birthdays and those types of things. And this is, this is Linda, our Linda Gladhill. And, and Linda was just loving her. And so just about a year ago, or maybe it was a little bit longer ago, Michelle's apartment caught on fire. And Linda, Linda sprung into action, and, and, and she contacted us here, and we were able to, to put her, um, her up in a hotel for a bit. And, and she just showed the love of Christ, never wanted anything in, in return, never asked of anything. She just loved, loved, and loved in, in a pure way. And so it was, just, it was so apropos yesterday just to hear those stories of the way uh, Linda loved uh, not only God, uh, but people. I wanted to shift now and... Um, I want to zero in on one verse which really speaks about love in a very particular way. And what it does is it teaches us that no matter how desperate our circumstances are or may be, love never gives up. It just never, ever gives up. Real love never ends. And so that's verse 7. And so uh, let me read verse 7 for you. Take a little sip here. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In the NIV, it tells us that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. And so what, no, no matter what translation that you, uh, that you use here, uh, there, there's a meaning that is the same. The word always or the phrase all things. It's repeated four separate times, so we're not going to miss the point here. So in this one verse, Paul gives us these four different connections or aspects of, of love, which when they're uh, taken together, uh, they teach us that no matter how desperate our circumstances are or may be, love never gives up. So let's walk through them really quickly here. Uh, the first one is love bears all things. And, um, you know, this comes from a Greek word meaning to cover something. It's related to the word of a roof, a roof covering, and a protection and, uh, uh, from hostile, uh, hostile elements. 1 Peter 4, 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins, and that's precisely the meaning here. The idea uh, of this particular, uh, that love bears all things, is this, that love protects other people. It doesn't broadcast bad news. Uh, it goes the second mile to protect another person's reputation. And, and I just want you to think as we walk through these of, of, of your own life and as you hear these definitions, what does that look like to you in your life as you uh, are dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, with friends and neighbors, with family, with husbands, wives, with your children? One application is this, that love doesn't criticize in public. It's protective. And, uh, and that's probably Paul's primary meaning here in this, this part of things here. In other words, love doesn't do its dirty laundry for all the world to see. It just, just doesn't throw. That's not, it's not loving somebody. It works with that, that person. So first off, love bears um, all things. Next, love believes. Number two, love believes all things. And so to believe all things, what this means is that love believes the best that is possible as long as that can be done. We, we, we hold out that it's going to be okay. We believe the best. In other words, love gives the benefit of the doubt. It takes people at their highest and their best and not at their lowest. And that's our first default with, a, with, with our brothers and sisters. That's, that's where we go first. We think highly. Now, we're not suggesting here that we be naive um, or, 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 or gullible. Um, love, you know, we, 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 I guess we guard it in certain ways by, um, by wisdom, by discernment that God gives us. But agape love says that I am willing to wait for the evidence to come in before making my decision. Uh, isn't that the way that our courts are set up and should, you know, should work? That judgment's not made until all the evidence is, is brought in. Now, they may be judged in the public arena, uh, but agape love says that I'm willing to wait. It says, I choose to give you the benefit of the doubt as long as there's reason to do so. Think of your relationships. I choose to give you the benefit of the doubt as long as there is reason to do so. And think a little bit how that plays out in your life with your relationships. And so just to stretch this out a little bit more, uh, in our relationships, people... Um, uh, often tend to become what we 
believe them to be. And so just from a practical standpoint, as we speak into um, our, each other's lives, uh, husband and wife, into our, our kids, uh, into our friends, uh, into our groups, our life, whatever it may be, into our, our co-workers. They tend to become what we believe them to be. They either live up or live down to our expectations, usually. And I want you to think of your friends and, and if you were married, your spouse or your kids. Are we believing the best about them? Is that our, our default? See, that's what Jesus did. You guys, you know, Peter, Peter was like, I mean, he was amazing. He was awesome, right? But he had some, some issues, and, and he, he would waver at times, and he just, it was tough for him. And, and so what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, he said, Peter, I believe in you. Excuse me, Simon, I believe in you. Matter of fact, I'm going to call you the rock. Your name's now Peter. I believe in you. You remember to a prostitute, what did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. I believe in you. Your sins are forgiven. Go. To a woman that was caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I love you. I believe in you. I think the best of you. I'm letting your past go. I want to see you move forward. So love bears all things. It believes all things. Number three, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. You know, hope is it's kind of a step beyond believing. You know, he believes all things. It's kind of moving. It's, there's like this, this transitional um, path here. Um, and what does that mean? It means that there are times in our life when we or you may face situations so difficult that faith is it's, it's almost not possible. It's like, Lord, please give me faith. It, like we're at this place where faith is almost not possible. And some of you may be facing a situation like that in your lives. In your life, there may be difficult circumstances uh, where and the reality is that there's, there's not an easy answer um, for it. It could be in your marriage, maybe one of your children uh, or your family. Uh, it may be that uh, you're sick. Um, could be uh, your finances are, 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 are a mess and there seems to be an impending financial disaster coming. Um, it may be your job. You're not sure about it or you've lost your job. But whatever it is, and many of us have been to that place, the word that comes out, you just feel like you are in, in an impossible place. How do, I, how, how, how do I get through this? How do I move on from this? Where do I go? How does it all work? You've cried, you've wept, you've prayed, you've done everything that you can and you know, uh, you just don't know what to do. And nothing that you do seems to help. What does love do in, a, in an impossible situation? What does agape love do in, a, in an impossible situation? What do you do when you can't believe anymore? Or it's hard? You hope. You hope. And that's a step beyond belief. Hope rests on God alone. You hope in God. God is agape. God is love. You hope in him. It is trusting in the full and having hope in the full character of God. His love, his grace, his mercy, his truth, his sovereignty, who he is, everything about him that we've learned. That's who we hope in. No matter how impossible the situation, no matter if it looks like there's no 
possibility that there's going to be a change, love always hopes. It looks to the future, not to the past. Somebody put it this way. They said this. They said, the hope is to believe in God in spite of what you see around you. It is to live in plus zero territory. Zero is what life often gives us. The plus is what we have in God. I've had to learn this uh, in my life. I've had to trust uh, in God's love for me. Uh, I've had to choose hope in God. Um, and if you've been here for a while, there's, uh, you know, we all have different stories. I'm not going to relate to any of them. I know many of you are new, don't maybe haven't heard all of them, but, but uh, just for the sake of this morning, I'm not going to walk into those things. But uh, just to know that, that I got to that place and, 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 and with my wife, too, that, that we just had to choose to hope. We had to choose to hope and believe in God's love uh, to walk us through those things. So love bears, believes, uh, and hopes all things. Finally, love endures all things. So what is the, the word endure? It's kind of also interesting. I, isn't it? It's fascinating. I don't know if, if you love studying the Bible, if you love studying God's word, and you, you just pick a word out and kind of follow wherever it takes you and, and learn, uh, you know, the original Greek meanings of things. It's, it's really neat. And there's such great resources out there to help you with that. But, but uh, the word uh, endure, it's a military term. And it means to hold a position at all costs, even unto death. And so whatever it takes. And that's a pretty strong uh, definition here. It, it looks like this. As somebody said, it said, the battle may be lost, but the soldier keeps on fighting to the very end. And so the word picture, if we draw a word picture of what this might look like, it's an army surrounded by superior uh, forces. You're, you're dug in, you're being attacked, you're being, you're, you're being slowly overtaken. Uh, it just looks like on every single side that you are not going uh, to make it. And one by one, your comrades, you know, your, your buddies, they fall uh, at your side. And so as this battle is raging on, you hear one of your commanders and uh, shout out, just like a, a final command. He says, stand, stand your ground, men. Stand your ground, and if necessary, die well. Enduring in the face of adversity. So this agape love holds fast to the people it loves. It perseveres. It never gives up on anyone Love won't stop loving even in the face of rejection. How many here have been rejected when you've tried to love somebody? I mean, is it not? Sometimes we, we you know, love hurts type of what we've heard. And, and, and you know, we tell people truth and, and we get rejected. And, uh, but this type of love, if this is truly a definition of love, love endures. Love does not give up on that person. Even if that person says they hate you. Even if that person spits at you, hits you, whatever it may be, love endures. It keeps moving. And so with this, uh, this last part here in verse 7, you kind of have this, this you know, logical conclusion of things here. It says, first love covers the sins of the one it loves. Second love believes the best as long as it is possible. Third love hopes when it cannot believe. And fourth, love endures when even hope is gone. It, uh, it doesn't give up. Love doesn't walk away. It never ends. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the love that we should have as Christ followers? 
Okay, now that we're all under the pile. (laughs) How about a disclaimer? This type of love in this verse is risky. It is. To love like this doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay. It's not going to work, that that it's going to work out the way that you want it to, the plan that you had. When when we were, if we were writing our own script, it would be beautiful and there would be hugging and kissing and everybody, everything would be great because somebody heard what we wanted to tell them. Well, Oftentimes, that is not the picture that happens. In real life, uh, love is often, it's crushed, it's bruised, it's repulsed, it's rejected, because loving others is risky. It's hard to move into those places. What if they abuse the love that you're giving? Well, for us as believers, as Christians, there's only one possible answer. We love anyways. It's what we do. We love anyways. This is the risk of loving in a, in a fallen world. Love for each other in the church is the badge of Christianity. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is where we may begin to understand something, a little bit of God's heart. Because the Father sent His Son in an act of what? In an act of love. He sent his son to the world knowing that the world would reject him. Yet he still loved us. He still loved the world. In this, uh, his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis spoke to this, this point. He said this, and we'll throw that quote up here um, on the screen for you. He says, The love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love, is hell. Wow. Worship team, you can start making your way up if you want here. Agape love, it love, it stands its its ground in the face of of everything, whether it be uh, not treated properly, hatred, slander, or the worst that, that man or our friends can even... And the loved ones can dish out. It stands its ground. Listen to these words of, of Corey Ten Boom in The Hiding Place. Uh, she said, she was asked this question. When asked how she could endure a Nazi concentration camp without bitterness, this is what she replied. She said, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That, in there is a phrase that is the key to this principle here. 1 Corinthians 13 Listen to this. It's about the love of God. It is not about the love of man. Without him in us, none of this type of love is possible. That's why we feel sometimes overwhelmed when somebody says, this is the way you need to love somebody. Gang, apart from him, God is calling you and me to an impossible love. That's where he's calling us. But how does this become possible? Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
It is the work of the Holy Spirit to pour out God's love into our heart. And so when the Holy Spirit is there, when he has done his work in us, we're able to pour out that love. We're able to stand up uh, in that, the love of, and we're able to show the love of God that the Holy Spirit has poured in and through us. What God gives us, we are able then to give to others. That's the only way. It's the only way that we can do it. We can only love because he first loved us. God is calling us to this impossible love that becomes possible with him in us. So what do you do with this? How do we respond? The first two words of chapter 14 tell us, pursue love. It goes on to say that it's okay to desire spiritual gifts when love is there. Use them correctly and wisely to build up the body of Christ. Don't compare. Be the member of the body that God has gifted you to be. And remember, love never ends when it's agape love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that you will use it to help us as a body um, understand your love a little bit more. Pray that it, uh, your words have challenged us to seek out your love and to not try to do this on our own, Lord, that our love might be expanding, it might be larger, it might be standing more firm, it might be leaving more. And Lord, when we are lacking faith, that we would have hope in your love for us, that you would walk us through. When we've lost faith in our friends, our, our family, Lord, give us hope, your hope, that you can move through this, Lord. We, we understand that you have a sovereign plan. We understand that it may not work the way we want it to work. But Lord, we hope in you. And we know that there is good somewhere there in this process and ultimately in the end. Lord, I pray that as we take our tithes and offerings that you would um, use them to fulfill what you want to fulfill through Linworth, that we will reach many for Christ. Help us to be good stewards. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening and joining our mission. For more content or to learn more about us, visit linworthroadchurch.com.